0: Hello, campus cronies, and welcome back to Campus Crime Chronicles. First of all, I've recently picked up some new listeners, so I'd like to give y'all a very special welcome. I'm so excited that you've joined us. I'm your host, Nicole Turner, full-time college administrator, part-time college professor, but always a true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or a crime that's associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from one to five on my serious crime scale, with one being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to five being very serious. This episode is rated a five. After years of considering her college roommate as one of her best friends, 21-year-old Alexis Crawford had no idea that, deep down, her so-called friend was not really ever her friend at all, but rather her ultimate foe. This is the heartbreaking story of Alexis Crawford, a young woman with a promising future attending Clark Atlanta University, whose life was tragically taken at the hands of her longtime best friend and roommate, Jordan Jones, and Jones's boyfriend at the time, Baron Brantley. This episode is titled, From Friend to Foe. So without further ado, let's get started. Alexis Jeray Crawford was one of 10 children in a large but super close-knit family, and because they were so incredibly close, Alexis would talk to at least one person in her immediate family every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, regardless of how busy she was or how much she had going on in her fast-paced college life. Alexis grew up in the Atlanta area, and now she was a senior majoring in criminal justice at Clark Atlanta University, a historically black college and university, or an HBCU. On Wednesday, October 30th, 2019, Alexis spoke with her mother and sisters on FaceTime, where her mother later said Alexis was being herself. She seemed happy and was laughing. She even asked them for some money on that call. You know, help a college girl out, Mom, <laughs> and of course her family obliged, and her father, Bobby Wright, sent her some money right away. Then a little later that night, at around 8:45 p.m., Alexis's sister, Alexandria Crawford, texted her and asked Alexis what she had planned for the weekend. Alexis sent a simple response to her sister and said, quote, "Nothing." End quote. Though that was the last time Alexandria talked to her sister Alexis that night she had no idea that it would be the last time she talked with her sister ever. You see, after two days of not hearing from Alexis on November 1st, 2019, Alexis's family knew something was very wrong because not one person in their large family had heard from Alexis since she sent that nothing text two days prior. And when they would call her, instead of her phone ringing, they would get a busy signal coming from the other end of the line. Plus, on that day, November 1st, Alexis had failed to show up to both her classes and her work. And that was the final straw for Alexis's family, and they knew she must be in some type of trouble or danger. So they called and reported her missing right away as soon as they suspected that something must be wrong. Also, it wasn't just out of her character to miss work and class or out of her character to not speak with someone in her family every day. But Alexis' family was particularly worried about her because she had recently went through a pretty traumatic situation. Just a few days prior, on October 27th, Alexis had filed a police report after her roommate's boyfriend, a guy named Baron Brantley, allegedly sexually assaulted her in their apartment. According to Atlanta News First, the three of them, Alexis, her roommate and friend Jordan Jones, and Jones's boyfriend, Baron Brantley, had all been out drinking and partying on October 26th. They returned home to Alexis and Jones' apartment at some point that night, and when they did, Jones reportedly went to sleep in her room while Alexis and Brantley stayed up. Jones told police that when she woke up a little later, she found Brantley and Alexis in the bathroom, with the door locked, and Alexis was allegedly passed out. Jones said she knocked on the door and Brantley opened it and came out. According to Jones, though, he came out saying that he did not rape Alexis, even though Jones hadn't brought that possibility up at all and never asked him anything at all to spark that reaction. He just apparently offered up that piece of information completely unprovoked. Then, he quickly left the apartment, but he took Jordan's keys to her red Chevy Cruze and took her car without asking. Meanwhile, Alexis informed her roommate that Brantley had followed her into her room and allegedly kissed her on the neck and shoulders. Then, he followed behind her as she went to the bathroom and attempted to shut herself in. But, Alexis said, after that, she didn't really remember anything that happened because she blacked out. However, let me tell you what Jordan Jones did. She called 911. Oh, good. You're thinking she's calling to report the assault and help her roommate. Um, no. This bitch called 911 to report her car stolen. According to the reporting of Tenacia Kinney for the Atlanta Black Star, Jones called 911 and said, quote, Yes, My ex-boyfriend just stole my car. He took my keys and fucking ran. And I'm about to end quote because the rest is inaudible. Whatever she said, you can't really make it out. But y'all, this girl never mentioned the assault or alleged assault in the call at all. Instead, after she hung up with 911, she called a family friend, a woman named Brittany, and she told Brittany what Alexis told her, that Brantley had allegedly assaulted her. Brittany then, who was a good 10 years older than Jordan and Alexis and also a former Clark Atlanta student, went to their apartment and found Alexis crying before Alexis disclosed to Brittany what had happened to her. Brittany, appalled at what she had just heard, took the initiative and called police on the morning of October 27th to report the sexual assault for Alexis. Later that day, on October 27th, Alexis ended up going to the hospital to undergo a rape kit, and then she filed an official police report against Brantley as well. But here's the thing. Jones called Alexis's family and told them that no DNA was found in the rape kit. But that's a damn lie. According to several sources, including Atlanta News First and The Cinemaholic, prosecutors have confirmed that DNA was found in the kit and that the DNA was traced back to none other than Baron Brantley, who has quite the rap sheet, I might add. I'll come back around to that piece of information in a bit, so put a pin in that. Anyway, so back to November 1st, when Alexis's family hadn't heard from her in two days. Clearly, they were incredibly worried because of everything she had recently been through, which put them on high alert. Plus, they were doubly concerned for her because Alexis had also told friends that since the sexual assault incident, she had been sleeping on the couch in the living room because she was uncomfortable sleeping in her own room. So, naturally, the first person police reached out to after Alexis's family reported her missing was obviously her roommate, Jordan Jones. But from the moment police reached out to her and brought her in for questioning, she appeared to be cooperative. She told police that she and Alexis hadn't really been on speaking terms since, you know, Alexis reported the alleged sexual assault against her boyfriend or ex-boyfriend or whatever he was to her at that point. However, Jones disclosed to police that Alexis broke the silence between the two of them on October 30th, and she asked Jones to drive her to a liquor store around 11.30 p.m. that night. Jones obliged and took Alexis to the D&M package store, which police were able to verify on surveillance cameras at the establishment. When they returned home, Jones said, she went to bed around 12.30 a.m. on October 31st. The next morning, later, on October 31st, when Jones woke up, she told police that Alexis was gone and the door to the apartment was locked. Essence Magazine reported that Alexis's phone, ID, and debit card also were gone, but that her cell phone charger and key to the apartment were left behind. So, police continued their investigation and began searching for Alexis in places she might have gone, places that were familiar to her. But, at the same time, they continued to keep Jones close to their radar. On November 4, 2019, Atlanta police held a press conference in which Alexis's family pleaded to the public for information and for Alexis's safe return. Her father, Bobby Wright, spoke at the press conference through tears, saying, quote, "'Baby, I love you. Baby, just come home, baby. Just come home,' end quote." Meanwhile, police obtained a search warrant for Alexis and Jones' apartment that they shared, and they discovered some shocking details according to the atlanta black star when they searched the apartment investigators found blood in and throughout the apartment including a drop of blood in jones's bathroom sink and a second search also uncovered a sponge in the kitchen sink with blood and hair on it additionally they found blood in five or six different places in the living room to top all of that off, according to an article for The Cinemaholic, police believe Jordan Jones tried to flee and go back to her home state of Michigan, where her family lives, and she reportedly began to withdraw herself as a student from Clark Atlanta University as well. So it's safe to say that investigators began to suspect that Jones played a part in Alexis's disappearance Or at the very least, she knew more than what she was letting on. This was particularly disturbing because investigators found out that after the alleged sexual assault, after Jones's boyfriend, Baron Brantley, allegedly sexually assaulted her roommate and good friend, Jones snuck her boyfriend back into their apartment and he had been hiding out in Jones' room for several days. Jones would even leave him alone in her room while she went to class each day, which means he was sometimes alone in the apartment with Alexis. Now, I'm not sure if she hid this from Alexis completely, or if Alexis might have had an inkling that Brantley was staying in there, but sources make it sound like Alexis had no idea he was there the whole time, though they don't state that explicitly. Regardless, to me, that's a shitty friend. Hey y'all, I want to take a moment to introduce you to a podcast that I have truly grown to love, and it's definitely one on my personal favorites list. It's called Least of These, hosted by Leah D, where she covers true crime cases that you won't see in the headlines. In each episode, Leah takes a deep dive into a lesser known case, highlighting victims who haven't received the media coverage their case deserves. Leah features missing persons cases and murder cases, both solved and unsolved, with the goal of educating the general public and advocating for justice for the survivors. You can find Least of These on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. New episodes drop every Thursday, so be sure to check it out. That's Least of These, hosted by Leah D., a Big Mad Media production. My guess is that police put enough pressure on Jones and Brantley through their questioning and investigation because it didn't take long for the truth to come out. Alexis was officially reported missing on November 1st, 2019, and by November 8th, just a week later, investigators had the answers they were looking for. According to the reporting of Alexis Stevens for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Jordan Jones did take Alexis to the liquor store on October 30th after the two roommates had not been speaking for about three days. However, Jones did not simply go to bed upon their return as, you know, she originally reported to police. No, instead, Jones and Alexis started arguing, which led to a physical altercation between the two roommates. While they were fighting, Baron Brantley emerged from Jones's bedroom where he had been hiding out, and he too got involved in the physical altercation. Now, this next part is super hard to hear. I'm going to tell you exactly what happened to Alexis, but if that's not something you want to hear, you can definitely skip ahead about one to two minutes. So, it was Brantley who ended up choking Alexis while Jones placed a black trash bag over her head. According to the official police report from Atlanta PD, quote, As a result of the physical altercation, Baron Brantley choked the victim until she was deceased. Afterwards, Jones and Brantley placed Alexis Crawford in a plastic bin and transported her body to Exchange Park in Decatur, Georgia, where they placed her body in the woods, end quote. According to an article by Haley Mason for Atlanta News First, Brantley and Jones told police that after they dumped her body, they went back to the apartment— cleaned the apartment, then they went to sleep and later got up and attended a Halloween party together that afternoon. And that's exactly what happened to Alexis. Now, this next part is a little unclear, and sources vary on whether it was Jones or Brantley who led investigators to Alexis's body in the park. However, from what I gather in the research, and specifically according to WSB-TV2 in Atlanta, it was Brantley who cracked first, and on November 8th, he admitted to investigators that he had choked and killed Alexis. After that confession, Jones followed suit, and the Atlanta Black Star reported that she, accompanied by her father, who just happens to be a law enforcement officer in Michigan, led police to Alexis's body. Jones and Brantley had not only placed Alexis in a Rubbermaid brand storage bin, but they had also pushed it over a hill in Exchange Park, which caused Alexis's body to fall out. Alexis was found wrapped in a blue blanket with the plastic trash bag Jones used to suffocate her still covering her head, and her hands were also bound. Alexis officially died of asphyxiation, meaning she was strangled and smothered to death. Brantley, who was 21 at the time, was arrested on November 8, 2019, and charged with felony murder, and Jones, who was also 21, was arrested the next morning on November 9, 2019, and charged with felony murder as well. Both were denied bond. Then, in January of 2020, both Jones and Brantley were indicted by a grand jury on murder and other charges. The Cinemaholic reported that Jones was indicted on six charges, including murder and false imprisonment, and Brantley was indicted on seven charges, which included murder and additionally included aggravated sodomy. But both Brantley and Jones had previous criminal history. According to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Jones, at the time of the murder, was currently on probation for a DUI offense in Michigan. Brantley, on the other hand, has a more extensive criminal history, and his rap sheet is about a mile long. According to a jail search record in Fulton County, Georgia, Brantley had been in trouble with the law spanning back to 2015, where he was charged with robbery. Other charges Brantley faced include cruelty to children in the third degree, criminal trespass, and theft, all of which he was on probation for in 2019 when he murdered Alexis. Oh, and I suppose now is a good time to tell you that his so-called career was listed as an aspiring rapper. Y'all, I wrote that down in my notes and I literally put LOL. (laughs) Because, I mean, you don't have a car, you're still in your girlfriend's car. What else you got going for you, dude? And I'm pretty sure he was not a student. No source said that he was a college student like Jordan Jones and Alexis were. But... Still, funny stuff. As you can imagine, Alexis's family and friends, as well as the whole Clark Atlanta community, were devastated upon discovering that Alexis was not missing, but that she was murdered at the hands of her own roommate and friend, Jordan Jones. In the days after her body was discovered, students, faculty, and staff at Clark Atlanta held a candlelit prayer vigil to honor and remember Alexis Crawford. On November 8th, President Dr. George T. French released a lengthy statement that read, in part, quote, Our deepest thoughts and prayers are with her family and with everyone who knew and loved Alexis. Please know I, along with the rest of the Clark Atlanta University administration, are here with you, our students, faculty, staff, and CAU alumni. Tonight, we mourn together. We have additional counselors available on campus. Please don't hesitate to utilize their services. We are also working on a plan to make counselors available as long as possible to provide support, end quote. Because y'all, when something like this happens, whether it's specifically on campus or off campus, losing a student is devastating to colleges and universities, and it oftentimes rocks them to their core. And obviously, Alexis's family was particularly devastated by her murder, because honestly, to them, It's almost as if they were mourning two family members because that's exactly how they viewed Jordan Jones. She was Alexis's friend, but she was also more like her sister, and they considered Jones a part of their family. After Alexis's murder, the family chose to address the public through the Reverend Markel Hutchins, and he told WSB-TV2 in Atlanta that Jordan often spent time in the Crawford family home, and they had even hosted her for several family holidays, including Easter and Thanksgiving. Hutchins said, quote, They knew Jordan. They liked Jordan. There was never a reason to suspect that Jordan would do anything wrong or ill to Alexis. One family member described them as two peas in a pod. To go from that to where we are today, it's unthinkable, unspeakable, End quote. Hutchins also told the media that Alexis's family was not expressing any hate or public scrutiny toward Jordan Jones. He said, instead, they were focused on Alexis and celebrating and honoring her life. He said, quote, they're not focused on the cowards that killed her. They're focused on the courage and compassion that was Alexis Crawford, and that's kind of how they are. They're obviously hurt and angry and mad and still in disbelief, but in their hearts and minds, this is about Alexis, end quote. But here's the thing, as hard as it is to wrap our minds around how one friend could do this to another friend, one psychiatrist who studied this particular case said she doesn't really think they were friends at all at least not in the sense that we would normally conceptualize the definition of a friend. According to licensed clinical psychologist Dr. Sherry Blake, Alexis and Jones' personalities were vastly different, and there may have been warning signs about their so-called friendship that Alexis' loved ones overlooked. Dr. Blake told Haley Mason for Atlanta News First, quote, a lot of times, what we see as a psychologist is what I call a love hate relationship. They may love the person on the surface. They may care about them on the surface, but there is a lot of resentment. There is a lot of anger. There is a lot of stuff underneath that many people never see, and I think that is what is happening in this case. End quote. Blake went on to say that for most people, this is too much to comprehend. However, she said, quote, but for people who have no conscience, they have no sense of guilt. They have no sense of compassion. When they do an act, it's just an event for them and they move on. And this is what we are seeing here. No sense of conscience. No sense of remorse. End quote. Blake explained that with Jones and Brantley, they had no moral compasses or empathy, and it appeared that Jones would do anything to help and protect her boyfriend, perhaps even help him avoid charges for sexual assault. Plus, other people around Alexis, other friends, expressed how they didn't necessarily think Jones considered Alexis as much of a friend as Alexis considered Jones to be. For example, one of Alexis's close friends posted to Facebook after her murder regarding the friendship between Alexis and Jones. The friend's post read, quote, Alexis trusted you even after I told her for three years straight not to. She stuck by your side through everything you've put her through. You gave her so many red flags of why you could not be trusted, End quote. The psychiatrist, Dr. Blake, further said, quote, Alexis probably felt she was a close friend of Jordan's. She may have even viewed Jordan as a sister and trusted her, but that doesn't mean Jordan felt the same way about Alexis, End quote. Which, to me, that is just incredibly heartbreaking, and it speaks to how much of a better person Alexis was than Jordan clearly is. So the most recent update on this case came in May of 2022, so in May of this year. According to Atlanta News First, on May 20th, Brantley and Jones appeared before a judge in a pre-trial motion hearing, and their attorneys each asked for the cases to be severed, as in they wanted them to be tried separately to have two separate murder trials. Apparently, although both defendants confessed to police in detail, Both of them are now pointing the finger at each other as to who played a larger role in the murder. Atlanta News First reported that at the pretrial hearing, the defense attorneys tried to get some of the confessions dismissed, but I'm not sure if the judge agreed. And so far, no official trial date has been set yet, but attorneys are supposed to return at some point for an additional hearing to listen to witness testimony. When that happens or when there is some more movement in this case, and we know um, officially when the trial date is, I will definitely keep y'all involved. So be sure to check out my social media, my TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. Now, if you're new here, you'll soon discover that I do not like to leave my campus cronies with information about the perpetrators. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Instead, I like to end on a good note, something that focuses on the victim and advocates for their justice or sheds light on who they were as people. And this episode, of course, is no different. So I'll leave you with information about Alexis Crawford, who is remembered for her warm and welcoming spirit. Her family specifically recalled her as a bright, affectionate, funny, and fun person who was taken from this earth far too soon. Okay, y'all, that officially brings us to the end of Chronicle 40. As always, be sure to check out my social media where I always post photos associated with each case and episode. You can find me at Campus Crime Podcast on Instagram and Campus Crime Chronicles on Facebook. So check me out on there and let me know what you think of this week's episode. You can also reach me by email at campuscrimepodcast at gmail.com And be sure to keep checking out my TikTok for some additional campus crime stories. Also, also, (laughs) y'all, I'm officially at 85 reviews on Apple Podcasts. And now I have a new goal of 100 reviews. But I definitely need y'all's help to get me there. So if you haven't left me a review on Apple Podcasts yet, but you are loving what you hear... I encourage you to help me out and leave a quick review. I promise it really does help others know that this podcast is out there, <laughs> which in turn, you know, brings in more listeners and supporters of my podcast. So if you haven't done so yet, I'd love for you to leave me a review. Okay, well, that's all for today. So bye for now. Campus Crime Chronicles is researched, written, and recorded by me, Nicole Turner, and it's edited and produced by Giari Gassaway. Tune in again in two weeks for the next Chronicle.